Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking about bringing education all around the world as I am joined by teacher Sabrina Harmon. Sabrina is the Technical Advisor of Education for the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, ADRA. So we're going to be talking to her about that organization, what it is, and what it does. Sabrina has been a teacher for 20 years, and she served in Africa for ADRA. So Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. It's great to be here with you all. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am natural from Brazil. I was born in Brazil. I started my teaching career there, uh, teaching as young as I was 16 years old when I started teaching at daycare. And after that, I moved on to teach in public schools and then private schools. And then I came to the U.S. to study English as a second language. Uh, move on to my master's degree in teaching, learning, and teacher education, where I researched uh, refugees from Myanmar and their adaptation program, in their adaptation process at a family literacy program in Nebraska. From there, I was able to get an internship uh, with ADRA in Myanmar, Southeast Asia, where I lived for three and a half years. And from Myanmar, I moved on to lived in Norway, where I was an education tech advisor for the countries of Somalia, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Mali, Niger, and Myanmar. Uh, after three years doing that work, then I moved to Ad International, where I'm doing the same job, just uh, backstopping different countries. Um, like um, Madagascar, uh, Mozambique, Eswatini, uh, Zimbabwe, Syria, Peru, Mali, and Sudan. So it has been a wild journey, but so worth it to see, you know, so many lives being changed by the work of ADRA and so many other organizations. So tell us what ADRA actually is, uh, kind of kind of give us a history on it, maybe if you know when it was created, what it what it does and, and, and what its mission is. Sure. So um, ADRA, as you said, is the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, is the one of the humanitarian and development arms of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, this year we are celebrating 40 years of existence. Um, and we focus on different sectors in development and humanitarian aid, such as education, livelihoods, and emergency in general, um, health, nutrition, wash. 
and through private donors and foundations and uh, government donors, we are able to provide relief and development assistance to more than 110 countries in the world. And our motto is that everyone should live as God has intended so, th so that all people can reach their full potential. So we, we truly believe that we, we can reach as many people as possible and give them opportunities to, to develop and, 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 and build resilience and their well-beings, whatever they are. So let's talk about some of the latest trends as it regards to women and girls education statistics around the world. Yeah, uh, women and girls statistics, I mean, education has been a major focus since 2000 with the education for all era in which uh, a lot of talks start to, to take place uh, on girls not having the same opportunities in education as boys. So after 23 years now, uh, we still, we still have women to make up more than two thirds of the world's 796 million illiterate people. So women make up two thirds of 796 million illiterate people. We also are talking about one in three adolescent girls from the poorest households around the world has never set a foot in a classroom. We see statistics saying that girls who get 12 years of schooling, the human capital wealth of the poorest countries could increase by 15 to 30 trillion dollars. We also see that data from 68 countries indicates that a woman's education is a key factor in determining a child's survival. And we have some pretty scary uh, statistics when we look at girls being sexually assaulted on their way to school. We are talking about approximately 60 million girls being assaulted on their way or at the school every year. And globally, more than one in every 10 women and girls aged 15 to 49 are subjected to sexual and or physical violence by an intimate partner in the previous year. So there's a lot of work for us to do uh, to support girls' education and women's well-being. Well, in the last five years, has there been any progress as far as uh, girls' education, why or why not? Yeah, so yes, there has been prog progression, right? So globally, we are looking at, if we, if we look at primary, secondary school enrollment rates, we are getting very closer. So when you're talking about enrollment rates, are children who are able to come to school, are able to enroll and attend school. So we are getting very closer to equal uh, between girls and boys, 90% uh, male, 89% female. So there has been a huge, a huge progress in that aspect. But when we look at completion rates, which means girls and boys finishing a school, a grade, a grade year, a school year, fourth grade or fifth grade 
or a, a great a great level, um, like primary level or um, secondary level, then things start to become different. So we are seeing that girls are able to enroll in school, but they are not able to finish schooling. So when we look at the finishing the completion rates, we see that 63% of female primary school complete primary school compared to 67% of male. But it gets worse when you talk about secondary uh, school completion rates. Uh, we see that 26% of young men complete secondary education, while only 21% of young women complete secondary education. And the gaps are even greater in countries affected by fragility, conflict, and violence. In these countries, girls are 2.5 times more likely to be out of school than boys. And at the secondary level, both boys and girls are 90% more likely to be out of secondary schools. So in countries facing fragility or conflict like Haiti, uh, like Somalia, South Sudan, um, we see that the, the situation is, is much, is much more complex and more difficult for girls and boys to complete their education. Now, after COVID-19, we are facing right now, both boys and girls equally are facing a learning crisis. We are talking about the term learning poverty, which measures the share of children who are not able to read proficiently at age 10. And so when you talk about the average of learning poverty in low and middle income countries, we are looking at 55% of females and 59% of males are able to read proficiently at age, age 10. Um, but the gap is narrower in low income countries where poverty, uh, learning poverty averages is about 93% for both boys and girls. So both boys and girls, only 93% of them cannot read proficiently at age 10. And that's, and that's huge. So there has been some progress in some aspects of education in children having access, but not as much progress in the quality of the education that the kids are receiving, especially after COVID, especially in countries like sub-Saharan Africa that could not, um, uh, did not have a, a emergency plan uh, for the schools and were not able to provide the learners with the, the appropriate uh, learning conditions during the, the school closures. Tell us about some of the educational programs that, that you have been involved in helping coordinate all around the world. Sure. So um, my first education program that I I provided technical support was the Strengthening Equity, Access, and Quality in Education, which started in 2013 as a pilot in Myanmar. And then when I moved to Norway, then I oversee the other uh, Africa countries. So this program specifically, we provide support to primary education teachers uh, to receive mentorship or training uh, on pedagogy, uh, psychosocial support, um, we also provide training materials and learning materials for learners and teachers in schools. We, re we rehabilitate or even construct schools, then in more classrooms, 
uh, latrines. We provide some uh, water resources in schools that don't have or communities that don't have any water resources. Uh, we work with communities, with school management committees, parent teaching associations, training them the importance of education for everybody, including girls. Um, early marriage, uh, gender-based violence. We provide training for, especially for men. And we also support policy development to ensure that uh, children with disabilities are included in uh, improving their access to education, uh, ethnic minorities, mother tongue teaching. So we do a lot of work at the policy and in the structural level of the education. Um, we also provide skills development for the vocational training uh, learners who are usually youth who are out of school and need some skills to improve their livelihoods. Uh, so that's one of our major um, project programs right now in ADRA. Uh, at International, uh, we have our education emergency program that we are focusing on either refugees, IDPs, or children who are struggling learners, providing them with uh, catch-up programs, uh, remedial classes, um, after-school programs to help them to reintegrate in schools or to, you know, have received classes in, in literacy and numeracy to improve their uh, scores and um, in skills in the school level. And we're also doing a lot of work around child protection, training communities on referral, referral systems, um, protection mechanisms within the country. Uh, so then families are, are aware what is, a, what is available, especially if these are refugee families, like the case of Peru. We have a lot of Venezuelan women families, um, in the program. So just providing them with, um, understanding of the system in which they are in. And uh, I'm also providing support to our school feeding initiative. The school feeding initiative, um, we started with uh, the El Nino drought. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2007, and the program started an emergency program providing only food for the kids, and then it evolved to become more of a develop development program. Uh, providing communities with skills in agriculture, um, school gardens, or some income generating activities for the schools with raising chickens or bees, cultivating bees. And right now we are operating in Zotini, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Madagascar. And of course, each country has its own uh, challenges and difficulties. As Adra, we often target our areas in, in hard to reach remote areas where usually um, organizations are not present, other organizations are not present. And so that sometimes make operations and implementation a little bit more difficult because of access. Uh, the roads are very difficult, traveling time and everything else. So many times security. Um, but um, the School Feed Initiative has been a great program in which you see the community growing, learning skills, and, and, you know, sending back to the schools, I mean, giving back to the schools, and seeing the kids being fed 
at least one meal a day. Uh, it makes a huge difference. We have seen uh, the enrollment rates increasing, the tenants increasing. The case of Myanmar, uh, if the food is seasonal, if the, the communities cannot harvest the food, we see that kids don't go to school. And if there is food in schools, the schools will be full of kids. So it's a very interesting program, you know, to understand the dynamics and needs of our communities and to support them to, for themselves, you know, for them to build themselves and, and develop the skills they need, um, based on their, you know, the difficult context they live in. So th- those are just a few examples. So in the regions you serve, how do they view women's education? And do you feel like with you guys being there and kind of raising that issue, ha- has the views changed or stayed the same? You know, that's an interesting question because a lot of research around girls' education and, and you know, the, the community view and the cultural dynamics around girls' education. But my 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 personal experience. I remember I was visiting Niger, and uh, we were going to start a program there. And we are visiting the communities, you know, visiting the schools, looking at their, you know, doing a sort of a needs assessment and asking the parents and the community leaders. Um, and I remember asking that question: Do you do you think that a boy should have more opportunities in girls to go to school. And I remember the parents saying, and th- this was like in seven communities that we visited, and they all said, no, girls and boys should have the same opportunities to go to school. And so I asked them, so what about, um, you know, ch- child marriage? What, why are girls getting married so early? And the parents said, well, here in our community, we only have this primary location that the primary school that goes all up to fourth grade. And once our girls graduate from fourth grade, they have nowhere to go because there's no secondary school. There's no, you know, um, elementary school in here. And what are we supposed to do with them? So it's much safer if a 13, 14 years old girl gets married than if we send her she studying in a secondary school because chances are if this girl gets raped, she would, you know, her whole family would be disgraced in the community and she would have no chances in life. So when you look at, you know, deeper into this real day-to-day struggles the family have to go through, you know, risks and safety of the girls and livelihoods, I mean, many parents will choose to marry their girls so that Someone else will take care of them. Someone else will be responsible to feed that girl um, because the parents, ha- you know, have so many more kids, younger kids that have to take care of that. It's it's really difficult for us to say the mentality has changed. Yes, it has. Parents, parents do see the need of their girls going to school. They see the need and they value that. However, do they have the, you know, the safety net or the livelihoods that they need in, in order to be able to provide for these girls to go to school? No, they don't. And so, so there are many reasons why boys are, 
are prioritized over girls and safety. You know, a girl having to walk two or three hours to get to a school to, to do her secondary level, um, it's not safe. And, and to pay for a boarding school for a girl to live close to a secondary education uh, school, it's not cheap. So it's, it's really difficult. I mean, when you get to the real life struggles, it's more complicated than just a way of looking at girls' education. You know, the, the dynamics are very complex. Do you feel like education is a right or a privilege? I think it's kind of both. It is a kind of an intrinsic dynamic. You know, I, I, I come from Brazil and it's interesting, like our, our, our public universities, they are top rate universities. I mean, they are, they're the top, top universities you can possibly get in. However, the ones who get in are the ones who have better high school, um, education. So in Brazil, most of the, the children, most, most, not all, most of the children have the opportunity to, to, to go to school. However, to get to good education, that's a privilege because if you go to a private school, you get good education and that's a privilege. If you go to a public school, you're exerting your right, but the education is not the best available to the kids. So, and it's, uh, many times I think it's very similar here in the West too. We have good schools in, in, in some districts and other schools that are not as good. And that will put kids in a specific category that even though they're, they are exercising their right, um, they have access to education. They don't have the privilege to have the best education available. So I think it's a, it's a, it's an intrinsic dynamic within uh, education systems. Well, wh- wh- what is your definition of uh, quality education? Yeah. So quality education um, is actually, it's holistic, right? The term comprises good school buildings, teaching learning materials that are inclusive of the minority population, their history, their language, uh, gender, uh, quality teachers are proficient in reading, writing, and maths, at least. You wouldn't believe that, you know, the type of teachers we, we encounter in, in the field level, what we call the field level. Many times, if it's a community school, you see teachers that can barely read themselves and they're there teaching the kids to read. Um, teachers who have a fourth grade, you know, diploma and they're teachers because there's no one else in the community who can read. So you're talking about quality teachers. You're talking about teachers who understand learning process, have good pedagogy to teach kids and adolescents. We are, look, we are talking about school and education district, regional, national leadership, having skills to support and supervise teachers and lead changes in their school system and policies. So it's a, it's a holistic system that looks from structure of the school all the way to the personnel that it's in the school, to the food the kids are eating, to the policies and, and curriculum that is being used. It, it's, it, it's a complete, it's a complete package. And that's how we define quality education. 
Okay. Do you or uh, Adra have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that everybody needs to know about? Um, I think our school feed initiative, uh, we are, it has been ongoing. It's, it's a great project. Uh, we are including now the, a huge element, which is water as simple as can be for us here in the West. We have schools that do not have water systems and it's very difficult for kids. I mean, I witnessed that in Zimbabwe, you know, children have to come to school. Every kid needs to bring one liter bottle of water to the school so then they can, you know, go, go to the latrine. They can wash their hands. They can drink. And, and I saw the water they were bringing and it's almost unbelievable that a, a human being can process that kind of dirty water in their bodies. So our school feed initiative is really, you know, giving the schools the opportunity to the kids to, to have clean water. And that's, that's just priceless, uh, for any school or community. We are also working with other school children. It's a, it's a very marginalized population when kids do not have the right, do not have the access to education because they're lacking a birth certificate or they dropped out and after one year they cannot return to school anymore. Um, or, I mean, th- there's so many reasons for kids to be out of school, especially after COVID. And our education emergencies is focusing in this group of kids, trying to provide them with some support um, so then they can return to school or they can have access to some skill development and, and uh, giving the hope back to these learners, to these families. I have visited Peru where we are doing um, some remedial classes and helping Venezuelan families to enroll their kids in the Peruvian school system. And, and just seeing the parents, you know, seeing that their kids can have a opportunity to develop to get some education and, you know, eventually to grow in a country and be economically um, proficient in whatever they choose. It's, it's so, it's such a wonderful opportunity to witness that process, uh, to see the, the parents being, being so grateful and thankful to, you know, to product, to the project staff and, and seeing uh, these families being, adjusted into a new country. It's so difficult to be in a new country um, and giving them that assistance to adapt, to adjust, it's huge. And and of course, we're working, you know, with uh, current opportunities for Madagascar, also focusing on school children. We'll be looking for Somali opportunities and South Sudan opportunities, both um, targeting accelerated basic learning also targeting out-of-school learners and youth. So this is a major focus for us right now at International. But there is also other uh, ADRA offices like ADRA Norway, ADRA Germany, that they have focus in education. They are looking more into primary education, children with disabilities, and their programs are also phenomenal and fascinating uh, how they are uh, working with policy and and different uh, disability groups within, you know, the countries in Africa and trying to advocate for programs for children with uh, people with disabilities, children with disabilities, 
you know, trying to bring more people with disabilities into vocational training opportunities so that they can have their own livelihoods. So just interesting, interesting approaches and, and projects going on in our organization right now. So if there's anybody out there that wants to help ADRA in any way, how would they go about doing that and, you know, get, give out the contact and website information? Yeah, so please visit um, www.adra.org. Uh, in our website, you, you, you will see the opportunities to donate. Um, we take our donations very seriously. Our education emergencies, for example, and school feed initiative, they are from private donors. Uh, just regular people donated to ADRA. And the very restrict funding that go directly to the field. Um, so um, our website will be the best source. And of course, we have our full team that you can call. You can call us. You can access us through the website as well. Um, and, and yeah, just reach out and we'll be more than happy to share uh, information about our current projects and what we are doing around the globe. Okay. Close us out with some final thoughts. Maybe if there was something that I forgot to touch on that you would like to talk about or just any final thoughts that you have for the listeners. Yeah, just reiterate that ADRA, we, we try to collaborate, you know, at so many different levels to really help the communities to, to thrive. We want our communities, you know, to, to build the resilience, to understand um, that they can be advocates for their own change. And so when we provide relief, when we provide assistance, we are there also to provide them the skills and the knowledge for them to become fully, fully um, developed. We, we want them to heal from the tra- trauma. We want them to, to, to experience fullness of life and and we know that we can do that when we look at their development, their physical development, their emotional development, um, their spiritual development, whatever their background is. And that we do aim to reach the, the ones that are, that are not reachable, the, the most marginalized. We are there for them. And so it has been a huge pleasure to be with this organization for the last 10 years. And seeing, you know, so many people to, to benefit and hear so many of the needs that also we could not provide because, you know, we are limited in of the budget that we have. So sometimes you feel it, it's a huge blessing. And at the same time, it's a huge struggle because you want to give so much more. And, and you know, you have your limitations as a human being and as an organization. But you know, always striving to to do our best to to manage our budget our budgets the best way we can, um, so then our our communities can can receive the best of the services that they deserve. So, yeah, I often say that the best part of my job is not what I do, but the people that I meet because they are absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, our, our communities are, are wonderful to work with and, and to be there for them, uh, to be that, you know, midpoint of contact. Um, they will be there telling them you deserve more. 
uh, it has been a privilege. Ladies and gentlemen, adra.org, please be sure to support the cause, check out the website, follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. If you have any guests or suggestion topics, see Jackson 102 at cox.net is the place to send them. Once again, check out the website, check out everything that Sabrina's doing. She's really doing a good thing all around the world. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today. And listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.